Sermon Notes, our podcast to help us work our way through the book of 1 Timothy here at Fellowship Fayetteville. I'm here with Garland and our producer, Josh. My name's Michael, and we missed you last week. Josh was on the road being stuck in airports and having travel misadventures. You can give him a hard time about that when you see him. Uh, But now we're all back. And so, Garland, catch us up a little bit. We didn't get a chance to really talk about uh, 1 Timothy, the second half of chapter 3, and moving into chapter 4. And I hate to jump straight to this week without at least touching on what we looked at last week. Right. Well, this is actually kind of what the purpose of this uh, this podcast is, is uh, in the sermon on Sunday morning that now we've uh, we've just heard a couple of days ago, um, we spent a lot of time. I, I landed the plane on really the end of chapter three, um, and a lot of what he says in chapter four, we just summarized really quickly. Um, and so that was just a, a, just a decision we had to kind of make just in lieu of time. Um, so just, just, uh, just to summarize what he does in chapter four, he's re-upping in chapter three, verse 14. Hey, let me remind you why I've written you what I've written so far. So the, these things, uh, I'm writing you these instructions probably refers to what he's written before. Um, and this becomes kind of a transition point in the letter. He's re- reminding them why he's written this. And, uh, then he, he, he gives them a very clear purpose purpose for what this letter has. And so, uh, or what the purpose of this letter is, and it's right there in verse 14. So people ought to know how to conduct themselves in this thing called the church, God's household. We spent a lot of time talking about that on Sunday morning, uh, so we won't have to do it here. Uh, but then in chapter four, verses one to five, um, he continues to address whatever this false teaching is. And we've spent a lot of time in this podcast trying to decipher that, spending some time on it. We get more indication here. Notice just a couple of things to point out. He says, the spirit clearly says that in later times, uh, when you see later times there, uh, every time you see last days or later times, our brains almost automatically jump to some kind of end times, end of the world thing. And uh, when you see the phrase last days or later times, whatever your translation is, always ask, which which do we have in mind here? I don't think Paul here means uh, jump to revelation or the end of the world. He means we're in those days, these kind of these final culminating days where the work of God is coming to fruition in the world and the death and resurrection of Jesus. And so in that time, the time that he's in right now, Paul considers himself uh, to be experiencing some of that. Uh, he says we're going to see some um, demonic and deceiving teaching. I mean, he gets real strong here. He's been really strong about this teaching all the way uh, through this letter. And this might be as pointed as he gets. I'm trying to think of there's a place in the letter where he's more agitated, more angry. Look at verse two. Such teachings come through hypocritical liars, is the NIV's translation, whose consciences have been seared as with a hot iron. They're in a state of being burned to a crisp, in other words. And then we get indication as to what they're saying. And so piecing all these little, I think we've used the analogy here before, when we're reading these New Testament letters, it's like listening to one side of a phone conversation. And sometimes it's we're having to piece together by what we're seeing in Paul, what's going on, on the other side. And this is a really good uh, a place to see that. Whatever, whatever these people are teaching, we know that it involves some kind of ascetic behavior. Ascetic would mean like to... Uh, to deny yourself something or inflict pain on yourself or to reject something that you would normally go for. Here he says, to for, they forbid people to marry and order them to abstain uh, from certain foods. Now, 
that could be Jewish, that abstaining from certain foods has a Jewish flavor, potentially dietary law, forbidding people to marry. That sounds very... Um, kind of platonic Greek. We've got an idea that the body is bad and we're supposed to live in the spiritual reality only. We're not sure um, what exactly these teachers are saying, but it's some kind of ascetic, um, we might say, uh, seems legalistic with some sort of special way of living, some special uh, revelation that people have heard uh, and that they're teaching. And Paul says, no, 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 no. his response is, God made this world, things like food and marriage, he made that good. And so don't try to separate that as some kind of evil thing because it's tangible and physical. And Paul loves to do this. He, he highlights the and emphasizes the importance of the body, what we do with our bodies. Uh, a cross-reference for this would be 1 Corinthians chapter 7. The, the, the context there is people saying, uh, no longer give each other in marriage. Just don't get married because sex and marriage, those things are bad. And Paul comes along and says, no, 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 that's part of God's creation. That's a good thing. Don't think platonic in that sense. I think there's some kind of a flavor here uh, as well, but that sort of catches us up. I, I know I'm giving a lot of, we kind of knows and we might knows and sort ofs, um, but we're doing the best we can to piece together what we think Paul has in mind here from 2,000 years later. Yeah, that's good, Garland. I appreciate that. And that really does set us up to press on into 1 Timothy 4, which is our passage for this week, and it begins in verse 6, because he says in verse 6, if you, meaning Timothy, point out these things to the brothers and sisters, you'll be a good minister of Christ Jesus. And so immediately we say, point out what things? Well, the things are the things Garland just rolled through. And so uh, the, the false teachings of these ascetics, these false teachers, whatever their doctrines are, uh, point those out. That's part of your ministry. But I also think he's referring all the way back to verse 16, which Garland, you did a good job Sunday of highlighting just the centrality of this message about Jesus, his, his coming, his proclamation, his victory. And Paul says, Timothy, if you point these things out, you'll be a good minister. And um, I know the point of sermon notes is to talk about things that we're not going to talk about in the sermon, and I actually am going to talk about this. But that word minister there, it's our old friend, diakonos. It's that word that was translated deacon earlier in chapter three. And it's interesting to me how the commentators say, this is the only non-technical use of diakonos in the letter. And I just think it's, you're, you're having to stretch to say, right. he used this word one way, one paragraph earlier, right. but it means something really different here. Mm-hmm. And our translators are translating it differently. They're translating it minister. And I really like to, to read it as servant minister through the whole passage. Mm-hmm. Um, it, that, um, as we said a couple of weeks ago, he's referring to those people who the church has looked at and said, your, your faith and your practice, what you believe and what you do, qualifies you to be a minister of the gospel, to serve people in Jesus' name. And so he says, Timothy, you'll be doing a good job if you point these things out. And then he says, nourished on the truths of the faith, and of the good teaching that you followed. And so what we're going to talk about on Sunday is spiritual health. How do you get spiritually healthy? Well, right off the bat, he says, you need to eat, nourish yourself with truth and good teaching. And then in verse 7, he's going to say, and train yourself to be godly. And that's the word, Garland, that you teased out last week, Eusebius. Am I saying that right? Yeah, Eusebian. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Be, the, be the noun form, yeah. Mm-hmm. And so it's this idea of right behavior in relation to, for the Greeks, gods, but for Paul, God himself, the creator God, the God of Israel. And so he's telling Timothy, nourish yourself 
on God's word, and then train yourself, like exercise your spiritual muscle. And so just as diet and exercise help us to be physically healthy, Paul is saying uh, those same things are true in the realm of spiritual things. And in verse 8, he goes on to say, physical training is of some value, but godliness has value for all things. So physical exercise, eating right and exercising, it, it has value. He's not saying these false teachers are wrong, that you should watch what you eat or that you should be careful how you um, take care of your body. And in fact, he uses the, the Greek word gymnazo, and it doesn't take a Greek scholar to see gymnastics, gymnasium comes from that same word, um, to talk about this, this training, but of spiritual training, spiritual training. Um, gym workout. And he's going to spend the rest of this section that goes down through verse 16, kind of unpacking what he's talking about. Verse 9, he says again for the third time, this is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. And that's what he's talking about, that physical training has some value, but godliness has value for all things. And he's going to go on to talk about our hope the reason we do this is our hope that's in the living God, the Savior of all people. And and this is one of those uh, passages that has a tendency to trip people up. Garland, verse 10, um, God who is the Savior of all people and especially of those who believe. Right. Yeah, that people, theologians love to dive into passages like this because uh, um, it seems... Not necessarily contradictory, but it just it tangles us up in knots a little bit. You got to touch on that on Sunday. Oh yeah, yeah. Well, I have to because what we don't want to walk away from that is is with this thought: man, God saves everyone, but He has a special place in heaven, a special place in His heart for um, those who believe. You know, I saw a T-shirt one time that said, "Jesus loves everybody, but I'm His favorite," and that's not the gospel. Right. And uh, this this teaching has been leveraged by universalists, and it's also been leveraged on the other side by people of a certain theological bent who want to prove a point. But I think what he's really saying is um, the sacrifice of Jesus was effective for everyone. There's not one person, all people, could be covered by the blood of Jesus. There's no one outside the reach of what Jesus accomplished, but the ones to whom it will be applied those who it's effective for are those who believe. And that lines up with everything else Paul says about salvation in the New Testament. Yeah, and even just reading it here, uh, this this is, it does kind of strike me, and I'm a major uh, history nerd, but uh, the concept of the living God, he used that in chapter three, this idea that we're not talking about a, a uh, like an idol statue up on a hill. We're talking about the living God. Um, and then he, he narrows that down and says, who is the savior of all people. And that language, the savior of all people, that language was used widely in the first century of the Caesars. He's the savior. He's the great savior of all people. Um, so bend the knee to him. And here, uh, Paul loves to do these little, they're not, they're not digs so much, but it's almost like he's going, you have to make a choice. Um, we have a living God who is uh, the one we put our hope in, and he's not uh, stuck up in a temple somewhere. You're the temple. That was what we covered last week. And by the way, he is where salvation is found. He's the true savior. And you got to kind of choose your allegiances a little bit. Uh, and Paul's never far from that idea as he writes to these letters to these ancient cities. So I love how he's he's taking on the false teachers who are within the church because he's taken their language of denying yourself certain things and and training and and disciplining your body, but he's applying those 
in within the framework of Orthodox Christian faith. And then he's also taken on um, these mystery religions and emperor worship and um, the pagan gods. And so he's, he's very skillfully um, just eviscerating all these all these opponents of the gospel, all these alternate worldviews, um, he's in a very subtle but powerful way taking those on and taking them down. And then in verse 12, he says something that I think a lot of people at Fellowship Fayetteville can appreciate. A lot of our listeners can probably appreciate. He says, hey, Timothy, don't let anybody look down on you because you're young. And uh, I know when I stand in this foyer on Sunday mornings, when I get the privilege of stepping up on that platform, I see so many young people. And I know that one of the things that the enemy, the devil, tells them is when you're older, when you're older, you can walk with the Lord. When you're more mature, for now, now's the time to sow your wild oats. Now's the time to, to do the things you won't be able to do later in life. And I'm talking about sinful behaviors. And uh, Paul says, no, Timothy, don't let anybody look down on you when you're young. And I would say that to the young people that worship at Fellowship Fayetteville who listen to this podcast. Don't let anybody look down on you because you're going to set the example. Look what he says in speech, conduct, love, faith, and purity. And uh, we're going to talk on Sunday about how speech and conduct, those are external things. Those are the way that you carry yourself. Uh, love, faith, and purity, those are internal things that have outward manifestations. And so whether you're young or old, those are five areas for all of us to just do a heart check on. How am I doing in my speech? Does my speech glorify God? My conduct, my lifestyle, Garland, you talked about lifestyle last week. Um, my love, does my life picture love and faithfulness and purity? And I think all of us have places that we could probably grow in those things. And one of the ways we can grow, he tells us, in, is in verse 13. He says, until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to preaching and to teaching. And so, uh, man, those are things we do every week around here. We do it on Sunday morning. We do it on Sunday night in our college service. We do it in our women's ministry. We do it in Celebrate Recovery. We open God's Word, and we read it. And then we ask somebody who's taken the time to study it and understand it to teach it to us. Um, and then just to close out here, Garland, then I'll be interested to get your, your thoughts on the passage. He talks about our gift. Don't neglect your gift. That's charismatos. It's a, like a spiritual gift that Timothy's been given, and every single one of us is given a spiritual gift. We're told that um, in other places in Paul's writing as well as by Peter. Um, but then he says, be diligent. So you got to work. So God gives you a gift, uh, but that doesn't do the work for you. Um, you've still got to be diligent in these things and give yourself to these things. And then in verse 16, watch your life and doctrine closely. What you teach and how you live need to line up because when they don't line up, that's when you start to get this dissonance and it's hard for people to hear your words because they see your life. And all of this, all of this is anchored all the way back in verse 16 when he says, here's the mystery of godliness it flows out of a relationship with Jesus. He who was manifested in the flesh, vindicated by the Spirit, seen by angels, proclaimed among the nations, believed on in the world, taken up in glory. And so, Garland, my concern always when we teach an epistle and we get into a section like this that's very practical and has a lot of imperatives and commands is that people hear us say, try harder, be better. And we're not saying that. We're saying, let the Lord work in your life. Right. Um, open yourself up to the work of the Holy Spirit and then watch the results as your life and your doctrine um, become, they become intertwined and you start to live out the things that you're putting into yourself mm -hmm. because of your, your um, diet and exercise, because you're nourished on the truths of the faith. Yeah, I, and just look at this passage and even this whole book, I've, I've been... 
maybe because of the way we do ministry, uh, we release ministry and, and, uh, you know, small group leaders and cell group leaders and discipleship. Um, I I'm, I'm struck in reading this letter and even this section about the importance of, uh, teaching and preaching and li- and hearing the Bible and guarding doctrine. And uh, because of the way we do ministry, just to you listening to this podcast, uh, uh, if you're a small group leader, disciple, disciple maker, um, that really matters. Like uh, caring to do the study and to, to do the work, to understand the passage and to understand what our Bible's saying and to understand how to then train other people to do that. It really does matter. Like it's really, really important. I think it's in, it's impossible, it seems, to separate how what what I believe from how I act or what I do, and uh, I think those are coming together. As you said, uh, they should become intertwined. And I, I think we, I, I sometimes am curious about the amount of people professing a, oh yeah, I'm a Christian, I love Jesus, and then what they do doesn't line up. Something's off in that, uh, and so he calls. Some of these people here, hypocritical liars, <laughs> whose consciences are seared, um, and so something's off in that equation. Uh, either the belief about really who Jesus is is off, uh, or there's some kind of disconnect there. And Paul doesn't seem to give that up. That doesn't seem to be a category for him. Um, and so, just if you're listening to this, and, and you're trying to reteach these things in your family or with your community, uh, can we just commend you and say thank you? It it really matters, and, and caring enough to do that work. Uh, really matters and, and coming to church and, and coming to small group with an open Bible and a pen ready to learn and then also to reteach it. Uh, if that's you listening, just keep doing it and help people you disciple to do that. Uh, I think sometimes we n- almost neglect that. Um, and I've just been re-inspired by that in this letter as we've been reading it. Yeah, that's good. Good word. And then I would like to close with this. It's kind of where I started on the First Timothy 4, 6 through 16 part, but Um, If you want to be healthy, if you want to be physically healthy, um, then your diet can't consist only of Cheetos and Red Bull. And similarly, spiritually, a Bible diet is essential to godliness. I think that's one of the things Paul would want us to take away from this passage is if we want to be spiritually healthy, reading our Bible is not the only thing that we need to do, but it is a critical, foundational thing. And it's easy for us to take it for granted, to think, oh, I've read I've read this passage before, or I've got other things I need to do. Um, but man, just to prioritize daily intake of Bible, there is nothing that will be more transformative in your spiritual life than to spend time with the Lord in his word every day. Prayer and Bible reading, um, man, so often it comes back to that. Um, I, I say all the time in our ministry around here that uh, we spend a lot of time reminding people of things they already know are true. Right. And I think that's what Paul's getting at when he says, the good teaching you followed. It's not new teaching. We shouldn't be looking for new teaching. We need to constantly remind each other and ourselves those core truths of the gospel and what the Bible has to say on all these topics. Yeah. Well, we hope this uh, kind of helps put just some uh, some thinking into this passage as you head into uh, your discipleship, your small group, um, or just your own personal study. And so thanks for joining us. Thanks for listening to Sermon Notes. Have a great week.